want to welcome all you guys inside. Also, we got our friends out back. I think we got a picture of them out there. Hello, folks. Good to see y'all. And uh, those that are watching online, always good to be together in whichever format we can pull off here. Hey, um, I wonder, have any of you guys ever been scammed? Anybody ever been scammed? Like maybe that Nigerian, you know, bank scam or, or you ever get one of those tech scams where they tell you that, uh, you know, if you don't pay a certain amount of money, then they're going to lock up your computer. Or um, just recently I got a call. They said they were from the electric company and we hadn't paid our bill and we need to do that or, or they're going to shut off our power. Or maybe you got one from the IRS. You know how those things go. Have you ever seen the one where, um, this happened to me, where they accessed my contacts and then they sent out a message to everybody on my contacts and said, hey, I was stranded over in a foreign country and I lost my wallet and needed some money and asked for you to send money. Anybody ever get one of those? Well, that has happened numerous times. Hey, if you ever get one of those that supposedly comes from me, if it says um, from Pastor Scott, you know it's a lie, right? Like I, or Father Scott or something like that, because I never refer to myself that way. So uh, if it's just Scott, send money. But um, if it's like <laughs> Pastor Scott, don't do it, all right? No, I've never fallen for any of those scams, but I did fall for one, and it's an oldie but a goodie, and it was a number of years ago. Um, I was in my 20s, and I was a young life leader at Patrick Henry High School, and we had taken a bunch of kids to camp in New York State to a camp called Lake Champion. And after a great week of camp, we decided it would be a good idea to go to New York City for the afternoon. That is never a good idea with a bunch of teenagers. And so we went, and, and then we had over 100 of these kids, and, and we split up into groups. And, and like I was a chaperone, I was responsible for 10 or 12 guys. And uh, I asked them, so what do you want to do? And they said, let's go to Chinatown. I was like, all right, never been to Chinatown, let's do it. And so we begin making our way there, and I've got them all paired up, but you can imagine trying to keep all these guys together, and you know, one little group would go over here and there, and uh, I'm just a little beside myself. And then a couple of the guys come running up to me, and they're like, Scott, hey, these guys um, came up to us, and they want to sell us a camcorder. Anybody remember what a camcorder is? You know, before we had the GoPros, you know, they, this camcorder, I go, I go, well, what's the deal? How much? And they go, $400. I was like, no, look, it's probably stolen. Let me handle the negotiations. <laughs> Terrible. Like, I'm the spiritual leader of the group. You know, and so I, I go up to these guys, and there's two guys, and one guy's got this backpack, and in it, he, he reveals there's this camcorder, and it's all... It's in this box, and it's bubble-wrapped and all that, and he pulls it out enough to see. And then there's this other guy who's like the watchdog, and he's like all jittery. You know, he's like, come, come on, hurry up, hurry up. And uh, I said, how much? He goes, 400 bucks. I go, no, that's too much. And then we start negotiating. We get it down, and he goes, well, how much would you give us? And I said, uh, 100 bucks. And he goes, all right, deal. Well, I didn't have $100. <laughs> so I, I look at the boys around me, I'm like, all right, who's got some money? You know, and like, so I'm collecting the money from the kids, and I'm like, here's 100 bucks. And he goes, all right. He takes the $100. He gives us the backpack with a camcorder in it. They run that way, and we run this way. We're about a block or two down the road, and I got this sick feeling in my stomach. I was like, I think we need to stop and check the camcorder out. And so we do, and we open up the backpack and open up the box, and you know what's in there? A bunch of rocks. I got scammed with a bunch of teenagers. You talk about humiliating. 
you know, as bad as that scam was, it, it pales in comparison to the scam that was pulled on Joshua and the Israelites. And we want to look at that this morning, and we want to see how we might learn from their, you know, failure, if you will. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 9. It's around page 215. If you have a church Bible, you want to follow along. Um, and, and let's look at this scam and see what we can learn. So we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. So just to bring you up to speed, so word has gotten out about their mighty victory, not only of Jericho and the king there, but of their recent victory over Ai and the king there. And um, all of a sudden, their enemies, their, their hearts are beginning to melt again in fear of God and fear of the Israelites. And so some of these kings of these different warring provinces, they decide to come together and wage a, a war against the Israelites and against Joshua. But there's one group that chooses a different strategy. They're known as the Gibeonites or the Hivites, the one with the V, the Hivites. So, so listen to this, verse 3. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. I love that word, ruse. It makes something that's deceptive sound good, does it not? You know, a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded and wore, with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We've come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Now, the Gibeonites, they're trying to trick Joshua, and they're trying to, to trick the leaders uh, of the different tribes of Israel here. But, but notice um, in this next section, Joshua's a little suspicious. He thinks something's up. Verse 7, the Israelites said to the Hivites, but perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We're your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, well, who are you, and, and where do you come from? Now, it's, it's important to remember here that God had given the Israelites specific instructions about how they were to deal with the people that they would encounter as they came into the promised land, all right? So we go back to Deuteronomy, back to the days of Moses, as he recorded the instructions for the things to come. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It said, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, listen to the names again, see if these don't sound familiar, the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them. Totally. 
You must destroy them totally. Now listen to this. Make no treaty with them. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. God was very clear with them what they were to do and what they were not to do. He was extremely clear. Now look at verse 9. They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. The bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is? And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are? And our clothes and sandals are worn out. By the very long journey. So the Gibeonites, or the Hivites as they're also known, they've got a scam that they're going to run on the Israelites. And they pretend to be from this foreign land, right? And, and they dress in these old, you know, torn up clothes, which, you know, today are stylish. But back then, we're not. And, uh, you know, they've got these old wine skins and... Um, they make it look like they've come from a really distant place. Here's an interesting thing, too. They reference, you know, just the great accomplishments of God and the Israelites. But notice, they didn't mention they're conquering Jericho, and they didn't mention they're conquering Ai, because those would have been more recent developments. So they were sly. They only referenced the things that had been accomplished in some time past. Now, Listen to how Joshua and the leaders respond. Verse 14, the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire the Lord. They sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. This is not going to go well. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them. Remember what Deuteronomy said not to do? Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. And so here we we go again. You would think that Joshua and and the leaders of the Israelites would have learned their lesson by now, that they, they would always go to God. They would consult God before they make any decision. But they fail to do it yet again. They fail to consult God before they act. And there will be serious ramifications because of that. Um, You you look and and you see that God had told them exactly what to do and what not to do many years before. And and I don't know about you, but as I read through Joshua, which has really been great for me, I want to be like an even chapter kind of guy and not an odd chapter kind of guy. I don't know if you've noticed, but like in the even chapters, if you look at chapter 6 and chapter 8, Joshua and the Israelites, they consult God before they act, and they experience great victory, even miraculous victory over their enemies. But in the odd chapters, they seem to fail to do that, right? Like in chapter 7, they don't consult God, and they've got their own plans, and they got their tails whipped, right? And, And they were humbled by this much more inferior army. 
And we're seeing it yet again in chapter 9. So be an even chapter kind of person, not an odd chapter kind of person like they were. And so um, it seems like this is an ongoing pattern with the Israelites. If you read throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you're going to see this this consistency where they they seem to be doing really well and, and God is blessing them and then they sort of turn to themselves and they think, you know, we don't really need to bother God on this, and they look to their own strength and their own wisdom and insight, and then they have some major failure, and then they stop experiencing God's blessing, and then they sort of bottom out, and, and hopefully, you know, they have this point of conviction, and, and they confess, and they repent, and then they start to experience God's blessing again, but then again, they get full of themselves, and they fail, you know, and it's like this never-ending kind of cycle in their lives, and I don't know about you, but that's been a pattern in my life. And as I've seen other people's lives where things are going really well, and all of a sudden, you know, I don't feel this intense need to pray or to consult God in different situations. And then there's some failure. Then there's this repentance, right? Have you ever seen that or experienced that in your life? Well, we can change the tide of that. Um, I think part of the problem specifically for Joshua, but also for us, is Joshua forgot God's instructions. Remember all the way back when we began in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 8, these were some important instructions that God gave Joshua, and I think they're important for us today. And, And this is what it said. God told him, he said, keep this book of the law always on your lips. He said, meditate on it. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then, then you'll be prosperous and successful. We need to do the same thing. We need to keep the word of God always on our lips. We need to be meditating on on his word day and night so that we're careful to do everything that's written in it. Then we'll be prosperous and successful. But if we fail to do those things, we won't experience prosperity and success. Instead, we'll experience adversity and failure. These very simple words of God to Joshua and the Israelites are so very important for us today. Now, I want you to to notice that we can break this cycle Notice what happens in in verse 16. It says, three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out. On the third day, they came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. They didn't attack them because they had sworn an oath. Now, let me quickly show you on the map where we're talking about. You guys love maps because I love them. But uh, So they had crossed the, the Jordan River earlier. There's Jericho. That was their first conquest. Then Ai is right there. Look what's next. They would have gone to Gibeon. That was their, their next land to conquer. Now, they're, they're camped back here in Gilgal. And so that's about a three-day walk from Gilgal to Gibeon. And that's where they discovered that the folks who had come to him saying that they were from a distant land, they weren't. They were their neighbors. But, But here's the thing. They had made a vow. They had sworn an oath. And, and this is really critical for us. Even though God had, um, 
told them, do not, do not make an oath. Do not have a peace treaty with any of these people. They failed to consult him. They failed to remember his word, and they did so. They, they swore an allegiance. They made a vow in the name of God. Have you ever done that? Do you remember growing up, and, and maybe even more recently, you're trying to convince somebody that you're telling the truth, that you're going to keep your word, and you go, I swear on my mother's grave. I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear to God. I swear to God. Have you ever sworn like that? And like that is the highest you can go when you swear to God. And do you know what you're swearing to? What you're doing, and this was true back then, it's true today, when we make an oath or we swear a vow like that, we're saying, if I break it, then kill me. Put me to death. Put me to death. That was true then. It's true now. It's a very serious thing to swear um, an oath or to make a vow, and yet that's what Joshua and the Israelite leaders did, even though it was clear clear that they should not do that. Now, most of us would probably just say, well, you know what? These guys, they, they came with false pretenses, right? They lied. They tricked us. Therefore, we shouldn't be bound by that oath, right? But no. God's serious about this. If you make a vow, if you make an oath, even if you've been tricked, if you've been scammed, that's on you. But if you make a vow, you are going to be held to that. You're going to be held to that. And that was true of Joshua. I think it's true of us. So Joshua and the, the Israelites, they make this vow. And God is so serious about these. Again, even though it went completely against his command, he's going to honor their vow. He's going to honor their oath. He's going to protect the Gibeonites because they have sworn by his name that no harm will come to them. And and. Here's the interesting thing. This is why it's so fun to study the Bible. Like, you keep reading through the Bible. Guess what you're going to discover? Just how serious God was. So let's go to 2 Samuel for a minute. 2 Samuel 21, verse 1. Listen to this. During the reign of David, so you remember King David? During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord, finally. Um, The Lord said... It's on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It's because he put the Gibeonites to death. It's because he put the Gibeonites to death. So Joshua and his leaders made a vow. They swore an oath of protection. They entered into a treaty with the Gibeonites. And even after they had died, God still honored that vow and that oath. And when Saul... So now, this was when um, Saul was king. He attacked the Gibeonites, and he put many of them to death. God held him accountable. He held him accountable. And and just like um, Joshua 1.8 talks about, and then we'll we'll see again here um, in in Matthew in just a a minute, that, that there was judgment that came because he failed. He failed to uphold the oath and the vow that had been made earlier, we see that three years of famine came upon the Israelites. Three years of famine because Saul broke the oath. Not only that, but it cost Saul two sons and five grandsons. If you keep reading 
in Joshua, or in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 1, or 21, and you go to verses 8 and 9, you're going to see that it costs Saul two sons and five grandsons because they broke the vow, the oath that was sworn by Joshua and his leaders. And you know what's interesting? This was 400 years later. 400 years later, and God still stood by the vow and the oath that Joshua and the Israelites had made. That's how serious he is about us not making vows, not making oaths, or swearing to anything in heaven above or earth below. He, he tells us, and once you get to the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene in, in Matthew chapter 5, and, and then he, he reiterates this in James chapter 5, and he basically says the same thing, but James five twelve says this, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by any other oath. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no so that you will not fall under judgment. Don't, don't swear. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. God's saying, I'm a God of integrity. You can trust my word. If I say something, it will be done. It will be done. If you're followers of mine, you're called to be men and women of integrity. You don't need to swear by my name. You don't need to make vows. Just be men and women of integrity. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. People should be able to trust what you say. It's that simple. Now, um, when you fail to consult God and and you make these vows and, and you swear things that shouldn't be swearing, it causes problems in the ranks. And, and notice what happens next. It says, the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. We cannot touch them now. We made a vow. We made an oath in the Lord's name, and we can't touch them. And it doesn't matter whether they were deceptive or not. We have to be men and women of our word, and we can't touch them. And it caused a lot of problems among, amongst the ranks. Like the people, they didn't trust their leadership any longer, and there was disunity and all kinds of discord going on. And so then the leadership tries to appease them a bit, and, and then they determine to do something with the Gibeonites, um, which is this, found in verse 20. It says, this is what we'll do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. They tried to appease the people because they couldn't touch the Gibeonites, the Hivites. They made them slaves. But because they went against the clear commands of God, these folks would be forever right in the heart of the promised land. There would be nothing 
that the Israelites could do to reclaim that land because they had gone against the commands of God. They had failed to consult him before they entered into a covenant of sorts, before they sweared and made vows. And those people would be an ever-present reminder of their failures. Now, the chapter wraps up with Joshua going to the Gibeonites and, and telling them, look, because of your deceit, you're going to be slaves. You're going to be woodcutters and water carriers from now on. And they were okay with that because they knew that the alternative was that they were going to be annihilated, that they would have been wiped out. And they were content with being slaves. But again, they would forever be a thorn in the side of the Israelites. Now, <clears throat> four things that just simply jumped out at me that are, are, I think, very simple application points for us today that we can learn from uh, the Israelites when they were scammed by the Gibeonites. The first one is this, and they're all very straightforward, but be on guard for the, the scams of the enemy. Be on guard for the scams of the enemy. Remember, we do have an enemy, and, and he is sly. He, he is the master of disguise and deceit. And remember, his intention is only this, to rob, to kill, to destroy. That's his intention. That's his intention. And so we need to be on guard. And, and especially when we've experienced some success, maybe you're experiencing what you would call God's blessings, and, and things are going really well. Be especially careful then, because it's then that sometimes we can take our eyes off God. We can become complacent, self-reliant. And when we do that, the enemy just slides right in. And it usually happens when things are going really, really well. So be on guard. Be on guard. Secondly, know God's word, both the blessings and the curses. Know God's word, both the blessings and the curses. Again, just as Joshua 1.8 tells us, we, we need to keep the words of God always on our lips. We need to always be talking about the word of God. We always need to be meditating, keeping his word on our minds day and night. That's a constant, continuous kind of thing because that provides the ultimate protection for us. That's how we can discern whether something is right and true, maybe whether it's a deceptive scheme of the enemy. And if we will, again, consult God, keep his word on our lips, in our minds, then we'll be prosperous, we'll be successful. Thirdly, I, again, I, I just mentioned this, consult God before you make decisions. It seems like a no-brainer, but how often do we really consult God before we make decisions? You know, maybe you, you take some time to consult God on a really big decision, although the Israelites failed to do that here, right? You would think certainly they would have consulted God before they made a treaty before they made a vow in his name, but they didn't. How often do we fail to consult God before we make decisions, both big and small? Because he cares about the most little things in our lives. And I wonder, how much pain would we spare ourselves from if we would simply consult God before we make decisions? It's very simple, very basic, but oftentimes we fail to do so. 
and we suffer the consequences. Consult God before you make a decision. And then fourth and finally, don't swear on anything or make an oath. Just let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you have to swear on your mother's grave or you have to swear to God to get somebody to believe you, to trust you, you have an integrity problem. You have an integrity problem, and you need to investigate that. And you need to figure out why is it that others don't trust you and your word. Swearing and making vows are a dangerous, dangerous thing. Because as, as God pointed out in, in Matthew 5 and again in James 5, if you're not careful, if you do that, then you're going to come under God's judgment. He is very serious about those things. He's a God of integrity. He wants us to be men and women of integrity as well. Don't swear. Don't make vows. Just simply let your yes be yes, your no be no. And so as we go, just, um, just be on guard. We, we just have to continually be on guard for the scams and the schemes of the enemy. Sometimes, and most times, they look good. They're attractive, and they're deadly. Be on guard. Keep his word. Like, you need to be, I need to be in his word every morning, every day. You know, meditating on it. That means we need to memorize it as well. Keep it in our minds. Keep it on our lips. Consult God whenever we're making a decision, no matter how big or how seemingly small it may be. And then just be people of integrity. Let our yes be yes and our no be no. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for just really basic kind of learnings and gleanings from your word. We thank you for the way that we can learn from those who have made mistakes in the past. And we pray that we would stop this cycle of these ebbs and flows of experiencing your, your blessing and then also um, experiencing some of the curses maybe that come as a result of that when we fail to follow you and we fail to humble ourselves before you. Lord, we, we do pray that we would be men and women of integrity, that people would just be able to trust whatever we say, that we wouldn't need to swear on anything or by anybody's name. Lord, may we be so in tune with you, with your word and, and in prayer with you that, that it doesn't even take but a second, really, to, to toss up a prayer to you and, and that um, your Holy Spirit is constantly guiding and directing us so that we can experience just your prosperity and your success day in and day out. That doesn't mean there won't be attacks of the enemy because we know he is against you and he's against us. But Lord, help us to be so wise, so, um, so much people of integrity that we don't have to fear the enemy any longer because we know that the Spirit of God who now lives in us is so much more powerful than the spirit of, of, of evil and the enemy that lives in this world. Lord, help us as you promised to do and help us just to trust you we ask it all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.